Hello, I'm Ambassador Abdullah Al Khalifa. Welcome to another episode of Bahrain Banter. Today we'll be discussing the advent of digital funds of various kinds. The concept of digital currency is on the cusp of sweeping across the globe's financial ecosystem. Today, to help us better understand all of this and where the world is going, I'd like to welcome Mr. Daryl Hubbard of the Digital Currency Monetary Authority to discuss digital currency. Daryl is joining us to better understand this incoming financial monsoon, the difference between digital currency and cryptocurrency, the anticipated benefits and persuasive misconceptions, as well as government's role in all of this. Let's start with the basics. What is digital currency in layman's terms? And how does a central bank digital currency differ from cryptocurrency? That's a great place to start. I would say that question is almost like asking what's the difference between paper money and a stock certificate. Um, paper money is legal tender of a country, the same as CBDC or central bank digital currency. And a stock certificate represents an investment in a company, the same as cryptocurrency, which is also a security in many um, jurisdictions. So CBDC is to, is to the legal tender of paper money, the same as cryptocurrency is to represent an investment, the same as you would in, in a stock of a company. That's a great way to put it. And we've also seen that MIT and the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston has been working on the concept of a digital dollar through the Hamilton project for the past two years. Although it's still in its early stages, what do you see coming out of their findings? And what do you see the digital dollar looking like? How important will it be to the world economies and to trade in general? Yeah, that's a very good project um, that's been spearheaded by IT and sort of co-branded by the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. They published their first report early February. I did get a chance to review it. Um, and I was actually quite surprised with the direction of the initial thinking. Um, let me step back and explain. Money in society has two different forms. There's electronic cash and there's physical cash. And the question is, should CBDC or central bank digital currencies be implemented as physical cash or should it be implemented as electronic cash? The difference fundamentally is electronic cash is what runs our banking system. So it's highly regulated. So you have to have KYC. Um, we've got to be able to trace it and monitoring for suspicious activity and fraud and things of that nature. But physical cash you hold in your pocket is, is direct person to person or hand to hand. And it's very private and anonymous. So technology could implement either one um, and which direction does it go? So the, the general public and citizens, they want privacy, right? They want to be anonymous. They, they want CBDC to look more like physical cash. But the banking industry, which is highly regulated, that has to do KYC and monitoring, security, and so forth, they need an electronic model. Um, so, so how do you reconcile it? And so the first version of the MIT report, they actually took the view closer to physical cash. And I thought that would be, to be surprising because I know the banking industry would not adopt, at least in America, anything close to a physical cash implementation of CBDC. Um, but that was just their beginning. And as they layer in the understanding around the regulatory requirements, 
and um, other services that the banking industry need, um, I think they'll start to move the pendulum back the other way. So right now, it's, it's an early stage report. They are looking at trying to sort of compromise both architectures of private sort of physical cash as well as electronic cash in one solution. I don't think it's possible because as, a, as an engineer of CBDC solutions myself, those are two conflicting requirements. So if you look at most of the public ledger technologies like Bitcoin and Ripple and others in the market, they do neither one perfectly. Uh, it's a they, they are like hybrids of electronic and physical cash. But in the banking world, hybrids doesn't really work. There's regulations. <laughs> it's that you have to implement electronic cash the same way you implement bank wires, credit card payments. It has to follow those protocols. And if it's physical cash that operates out, can operate outside of the banking world, that's a totally different type of solution. A lot of currencies are pegged to the U.S. dollar. So whatever digital currency that the U.S. adopts, it will have global impact on the world for trade and, and commerce. Absolutely. Lately, I've been reading a lot about digital currency, and there's just so much information. What do you think is the biggest misconception about central banks' digital currency? Yeah, I would say the biggest one, I think um, people have fear that the government will use central bank digital currency as a way of surveillance <laughs> to track and monitor all their spending and the private transaction, et cetera. Um, but that's actually just a conspiracy theory and fear mongering because that's, that's probably least closest to the truth. The central bank industry is moving into digital currencies not because of their innovation desires. It's, it's really because of survival. Bitcoin and all these stable coins and altcoins are generating some significant traction over trillions of dollars in market cap. And money is leaving the banking system into these alternative classes. So the banking industry is responding to digital assets and virtual currencies as a, as a survival <laughs> response, not because they have a desire to, to surveillance the public and the money transaction. It's very similar to Zelle in, in the U.S. I don't know if Zelle is around the world, but Zelle does mobile payments for the banking industry here in the U.S., but only because PayPal and Cash App and Venmo and all these other money mobile money apps begin to get great traction at the banking industry. Hey, we got to respond to this. So the banking industry in general is not a very innovative technology driver. It's more of a, they tend to respond to critical demand and issues in the marketplace. And what's driving CBDC is really because of the digital transformation that's happening with digital currencies. And they feel the need to offer an alternative product to sustain their advantage in banking. So the Central Bank of Bahrain has recently announced the successful completion of a test with Onyx by JP Morgan's JPM coin system, which is also the first of its kind in the region. The governor of the Central Bank of Bahrain said something along the lines of us aspiring to address and eliminate the inefficiencies and pain points which exist today in the traditional cross-border payments arena. Can you kindly touch upon what those inefficiencies or pain points look like and what kind of an effect do they have on cross-border transactions? Sure. Well, you know, with every generation of technology, the idea is to make processes and services faster, cheaper, and better, right, for the, for the consumers and for entities. And if, if SWIFT is currently the sort of the banking standard for how to send money internationally. And in SWIFT, there are significant inefficiencies 
Uh, first is just look at the time it takes to send an international payment, right? It could take anywhere from 24 to 72 hours to settle, depending on which two countries are involved with that transit. With CBDC, it, it could be 24 to 72 seconds. And actually, now with our platform, it could be less than one second. So CBDC definitely brings faster settlement to the existing international payment model, which is a pretty slow settlement process. Significantly cheaper as well to, to send money between, depending on, again, the two countries, the corresponding banking system is used today to do the, the currency conversion. So the, I, know, I know to send money between North Carolina and Africa, it can go literally, literally to three to five different corresponding banks. And each bank is charging a markup on that FX rate to, to earn they, you know, some profit, some basis points on that yield. So it, it can really be expensive, easily five to 10 percent just to send a, 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 a remittance or a bank wire. That is drastically reduced with CBDC because it, it really cuts out the need for intermediaries or correspondent banking. I can send money between any two currencies really instant in real time without having to go through any correspondent banking service. So not only is it faster, it's tremendously cheaper and better is, I will say, in the area of security and fraud. Um, people have heightened concerns about um, security around central bank digital currency or digital currency in general. But from my knowledge of it, actually CBDC or digital currency is, is even far safer than the fiat system. For example, if I wire you a million dollars from my SWIFT account to yours, if you are a fraudster, that money is normally moved within seconds to an offshore account. It's very hard to recover once you send a SWIFT payment, right? With CBDC, we can send money with a hold. So say I have a purchase agreement with you to buy some goods for a million bucks, and I, I can send you the money to show that I have proof of funds, but that money will be frozen in your wallet where you can't liquidate or you can't transfer it to another party until I receive the goods that meets whatever the purchase order agreement is. That's not possible in the SWIFT system or with, with, with traditional money transfer. So the, there's a lot of advanced also network monitoring and traceability cap capabilities using AI and machine learning with CBDC that you don't have available in, in, in the fiat or legacy banking system as well. So I would say from a faster, cheaper, better perspective, CBDC wins in each category from speeding up transactions, making it cheaper and uh, improving the quality of network monitoring, reducing fraud. So you touched upon this uh, moments ago. Speaking of the SWIFT system, we've seen countries use political pressure tools like SWIFT as they implement sanctions. Mm. Now, when we talk about digital currency, is that even applicable? People, entities, or even governments view digital currency as a way to avoid sanctions. <laughs> and actually, um, right now, that's a valid point. However, you can easily implement sanctions and CBDC solutions as well. And actually, you can implement it better than the existing model. For example, the Treasury Department in the U.S., we have OFAC, which is like the Office of Foreign Assets Control. They put out a list periodically of all the sanctioned individuals, entities, and governments. So each bank has to implement, download, import those files, and implement those sanctions. That's a very inefficient, decentralized model. Uh, in the CBDC platform, we can implement sanctions at the network level. So if... If, if a central bank chose to implement it at the network level, um, once they employed it, it would be applied throughout the entire network without requiring each bank 
or financial institution to comply with that. And, and some may comply right away. Some may take longer, some may not do it at all. But what's the integrity of knowing if everyone's implementing the sanctions properly? So see, digital currency can be a, a better model for actually implementing sanctions. However, most platforms will not come out the box that way. And the regulations right now require each financial institution to in, in implement sanctions. But I still think there's an added value to look at should the central bank, you know, with CBDC decide to implement sanctions centrally versus relying on this decentralized network of banking, banks to do it individually. Elevating the conversation back to a 30,000 foot view, what are some of the biggest challenges and maybe even some of the greatest opportunities that digital currencies face? Well, I think challenges could be twofold. One, technology challenges are sure about. I think there's some business challenges to think about around education and awareness. As I said earlier, citizens have this sort of phobia that, you know, hey, banks are going to use this to surveillance me and monitor my every move. That's, that's not how the banking system works today. The banking system monitors suspicious and fraudulent transactions. They don't monitor every transaction that goes through the banking system and watch who's doing what. I mean, maybe they do that in some, you know, authoritarian countries, I, don't, I can't say for sure, but at least in uh, the, the democratic countries, that's not how we operate. But we only track and monitor typically suspicious activities. But that education and awareness needs to be given to the at the consumer level. I think also for bank executives. Remember, CBDC was not a, the birth of the banking industry. This came out of private sector innovation. And the banking industry is trying to get their head around understanding how to implement digital currencies, blockchain or distributed ledger technologies, um, these the cryptographic you know, technologies. These are not the, the, the mainstream knowledge of banking. So I think education is a big challenge to get higher adoption and interest from banking executives and from citizens to use it. But at the same time, it is moving and there's a lot of technology challenges as well around exactly what I mentioned earlier. Is, is CBDC physical cash or is it electronic cash? How do we balance the two? You know, how can we have a mode to switch between the two? These kinds of types of questions. Now, in our view, we've implemented both physical cash and electronic cash as two separate options. So the same way you can take money from your bank account and, and withdraw it into your pocket, we have a solution where you can withdraw CBDC from your bank account and into your mobile phone. And if it's in your mobile phone, that's physical cash. But it's two totally separate solutions. But these are the types of things that's being worked out in the industry to figure out you know, which form of CBDC and different countries have different takes on it. Um, like in Africa, but they don't have a lot of Wi-Fi and smartphones, and there's a lot of people excluded from the banking industry, they want to be able to have physical cash CBDC. Our inspiration around implementing our physical cash solution was driven by a central bank we're working with in Africa. Whereas in the advanced economies where they have smartphones and Wi-Fi, pretty much you know, every phone, um, they, they're more interested in um, online CBDC, more electronic sort of cash models. So those are, I would say, the two big challenges is understanding the technology of how to balance between you know, physical cash, electronic cash. And I would say also interoperability among CBDC. That, um, the DCMA, we are like the digital currency version of SWIFT, but every CBDC network had its own sort of node. So if you're trying to send money between one CBDC and another, how do you do it? It's not, they are, they're not all on one common network. And we solved that problem by using what we call a, a multi-currency CBDC wallet. But cross, so, so the same way cross-border payments is handled to SWIFT today, um, who's going to handle 
the cross-border payments in the digital currency world, right? So this is a role that we've taken on, but it's still a, it's still a big technical challenge if, when you're just looking at CBTC in general to say how, how we do cross-border inter interoperability. So I would say those are probably are the, the biggest challenges, awareness and um, cross-border sort of interoperability and um, physical and electronic cash implementation. So those are probably the biggest sort of pain points or architectural issues. Those are also the biggest opportunities as well. So the, the challenges are also opportunities because solving those problems opens up the whole opportunity for doing digital banking. And digital banking is growing significantly, almost a trillion dollar industry. And by 2027, it's expected to, to, to grow probably about 10% a year. I think that that's estimates I've heard. So the challenges are also opportunities for us. And we, we sort of look forward to, we have, from our view, solidly some of these bigger challenges. And we're looking forward to introducing these challenges and opportunities to the banking industry and how they can implement CBDC solutions, solving these same challenges I, I outlined here. Does the issuance of a central bank digital currencies provide any risk to the ability of a central bank to provide monetary sovereignty? Well, it shouldn't, um, but it's a, very, it's a very good question. I mean, I, I would first say this, how, how do we define monetary sovereignty? I would define it as the central bank's ability to issue legal tender in the country, right? It must provide a safe and secure payment rail for merchants to uh, exchange value. And it must provide a governance system for having long-term sustainable money. Well, you know, so those three goals of a monetary sovereignty are not challenged by CBDC. CBDC is just another form of money, whether it's paper money, coin money, digital money, however, you know, checks, et cetera. The, the ability to govern and have a sovereign sort of banking system, I don't, I don't see as being challenged by the innovation of another form of money. I mean, to the extent your money system or your money payment system is secure, you have a secure, you know, digital sort of CBDC solution that doesn't bring any compromise to the money system. I don't see, I don't see how it would jeopardize any monetary sovereignty or the ability to issue any monetary policy. Monetary policy shouldn't change because of the form of money, right? It's just, you know, we're just realizing a new, a new avenue, a new channel for exchange and value. So I would say no. I would say no. CBDC shouldn't propose any risk to the banking system to maintain its monetary sovereignty. But though cybersecurity is a risk in any model, even even our current legacy banking system today is being challenged with you know cybersecurity, right? So you know, so I, I think regardless of what form of the, the the banking system is in, any electronic banking system will have cybersecurity and security concerns, which is part of you know maintaining sovereignty as well. Crystal ball moment, Daryl. Looking ahead 10 years, uh, where will the role of digital currencies be going in the world financial markets? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but <laughs> if I had it based on my experience in innovation and technology, I would say I, I would liken digital currency to the movement of the internet, right? When the internet sort of broke in the late 90s, there was a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, fear mongering, you know, concern around People putting their credit card online I would never do that. I could never see myself buying products online, right? Look where we are today, right? The internet has pretty much changed humanity and civilizations all around the world. And I think the same transformation um, will, will happen with digital money. In 10 years from now, we would think how we look at money and how we interact with money. Significant, if not all central banks, will be transacting in some form of digital money with a CBDC 
or other digital assets that's sort of pegged to their national currency. But I think we'll be an interconnected world of digital money and new paradigms of new ways of doing business. Everything would be electronic, whether through our cell phones or other other devices. But yeah, so I see this as a uh, not a fad, but a, a total revolution and evolution of the, the banking system. And the whole world is going through digital transformation. And the banking and the banking system supports the entire world of commerce, right? Commerce is over $20 trillion a year. So as the world is moving towards you know, smart cities and, and digital economies, the banking has to keep up with those, those paradigms. So I think, I think for the bank industry to survive, it must also transform into to a digital transformation platform, which includes you know, central bank digital currencies, other digital assets. So I see the world quite different 10 years from now than we are today. I think we've come a long way, even in the past couple of years. I mean, I was uh, looking at artists in Bahrain, and a lot of them have moved their art to NFTs. Bahrain is hosting its first NFT exhibition in the entire region as we speak today. And that comes to show how uh, savvy people have gotten uh, to the point where they're shifting their whole careers to an opportunity that's become more and more digital. And it's just going to be so interesting to see how the, the years unfold and how the technology becomes more and more adopted. Now, how does the concept of central bank independence play in the application of a digital dollar? Well, I don't think it's just a, just a digital dollar. I would say in general, for any bank, right? How does, we call it CBI, central bank independence. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people look at central banks as the government. And at some level, central bank is part of the governing system. Uh, however, uh, from a functional perspective, um, at least in many countries, central bank independence is very important, where political parties and government does not influence the monetary system, right? And countries who combine them or intertwine with political leaders and government can influence monetary policy. In most advanced countries, we'll call that corruption, <laughs> but a less a weaker dollar or whatever currency they call it in those countries. So um, central bank independence is not so much a technology issue, it's just more of a, a governing issue between maintaining separation of powers between the, the political parties who run the country and the monetary system or the central bank who's responsible for monetary policy and monetary sovereignty. Now, maybe part of the confusion there is the difference that we sort of started in the beginning of our conversation What's the difference between like central bank digital currencies and maybe digital assets or cryptocurrency? Now, political parties can influence digital asset regulations, right? Because those are done by the private companies, private enterprises. But central bank digital currency is, is part of the central bank, it's not a private enterprise. So that's the that's the key distinction. So political parties can influence, yeah, virtual virtual currencies, digital assets, right, cryptocurrency regulations. But the central bank should be totally independent of that. And, the, and political parties or government should not interfere with central bank regulations. I mean, central bank digital currency regulations. Lastly, if you were to give advice to Bahrain or uh, other countries around the world that do prioritize financial technology and its advancement, what would you suggest that we should be doing in order to keep pace or even step ahead of the crowd? Well, I mean, I think with every major um technology or paradigm, there's always um, early adopters 
And then it's like the second comers who sort of sort of copy and follow the, the mass adoption crowd, right? So uh, if you want to be an early adopter, that means you have to lead. So if Bahrain or any other country want to sort of lead this sort of digital transformation evolution, specifically with you know, digital currency, I would say the central banks in those countries needs to be proactive and maybe offering some type of incubator programs, um, incentives um, to implement, you know, neo banking or digital banking solutions on top of digital currency. See, most most banks right now are only thinking about CBDC as money of value transfer, but that's not the full stack of banking. Full service banking includes loans, investments, all all types of um, transactions beyond just money payments, right? So we've been looking way ahead beyond just CBDC movement, but how do you support the full service banking on top of digital payment realms? So maybe offering incentives to these fintech companies or banks to build neo banking platforms on top of CBDC for the to show as a showcase to the to the other banking industries. I mean other countries. um, I would say would 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 be if you want that leadership advantage, that would be the way to go. Um, Be the early adopter, put out you know pilot programs, of course institute a CBDC program, and then give people the incentive to build applications on top of it beyond just simple payments. I mean, payments is the first step, but there's so much in banking. Because think about it, if, you, if you're if you only doing payments through CBDC, that means the rest of the banking world is back in fiat. So in my view, for digital currency to be sustainable, you need to have the full banking stack working on top of CBDC or digital currencies, not simply payments and everything else is back in the legacy system. So the way we've designed our, our network, we can support not just CBDC or cash transaction, but we can support over 14 different ledger types in our network to do full service banking. Other countries should take note of that and look at how to give incentives to their fintech community to build more than just payment apps, but trading dApps, investment dApps, strictly on digital currency rails. Daryl Hubbard, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insight. This was so rich, very useful to me. I'm sure it's going to be useful to our followers. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a a pleasure.